Welcome to A Tribe Called Yes, the podcast that brings you closer to the world's most notorious risk takers, trailblazers, and enemies of the status quo. Now, here's your host, Darren K. Roberts. Welcome back, Tribe, for part two of conversation with Zoraima Palaez. This woman went from truancy court to the Truman Scholarship. Here's part two of our conversation with Zoraima on a tribe called Yes. And you made the decision to go to New York, mm-hmm. 2000 bucks, mm-hmm. one-way ticket. Yeah. What about your life here? Did you tell people, hey, listen, I'm leaving, or did you just... I told them, I'm going to go see what happens. I had no expectations, and I didn't want to say, I'm moving to New York forever, bye, because I didn't know if that's what I wanted. But I knew I needed to do something, and I knew I needed to change my life up in a way. Because if I just keep repeating the same patterns, nothing's going to change. I needed to shake things up. Uh, In retrospect, maybe that wasn't the way I shouldn't have shook things up, but I'm so glad I went. And I learned so many important, valuable lessons by doing that. Um, Like what? uh, Just perseverance to start, you know? the value of knowing yourself because Mm. when you're alone, that's like the only thing that really gets you through. I was, I had a couple friends there, but they had their lives and they were busy and, um, you know, they lived in Manhattan. I lived in Queens the majority of the time I was there. And it's just really hard to like go meet up with people on a whim. Uh, and I was really poor too there. I was getting by like, you know, paycheck, paycheck to paycheck. Um, I didn't have the luxury most of the time of doing like the things that make New York like this special, crazy place. You know, like I couldn't go out to eat and like enjoy. I don't know. And sometimes I would. I get a little taste of it. I'm like, this city's so great. And then it wouldn't be. And I'd be like, oh. And then you're jumping over the turnstiles. One time I had to move my stuff from Jersey City to Queens via subway. Because I was a, I was too poor to have a taxi cab. So I'm sitting there with like these two suitcases and I'm at the stop where the elevator's broken at like 34th Street or something. And um, I drop one of my suitcases and it just rolls all the way to the bottom after having taken it all the way up. And I screamed, I just screamed, I screamed the F word really, really <laughs> loud and like dropped to my knees and no one even flinched. They were just wow. like, mm, there goes another breakdown later, you know? Wow. And so I was like, okay. Yeah, there's some New York moments where I was like, okay, I'm going back to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> there's some quote, I'm going to forget it now, something about New York's the only city where you can go and be alone. Like it's, you know. Yeah, you're alone in a city people. of millions. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this one guy, this like poor FedEx guy hating his job was like schlepping around all these boxes and he goes over a bump and they all fall. And I'm with a Texas friend at the time and we're like, oh, we're so sorry. And we started helping him and putting them back on. And he goes, you missed one. And we were like, okay, <laughs> bye. That's New York for you. It was fun wow. though. And I, I love it. And I would love it a lot more if I was making six figures. Yeah, that's my big regret. I did the DC during a summer, but I wish I'd spent some time in New York. That's a good one. Okay, so then you get back here. And then I'm like, I'm going back to school. You knock the New York dust off of you. You come <laughs> back to Texas and then... So now what's going through your head? I mean, you've got a lot of twists. I mean, yeah, I what's going through my head is I'm like back at my mom's house and my stepdad's house because I like have zero money. And I'm, what's going is like I'm on the hustle now. I'm on the grind to get out of here and to make money and to make something of myself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that set me back, but I'm glad I did it. 
and so I get on the grind, put everything into doing hair and makeup again. And then once I get comfortable in that for a while, then I decide I'm going back to school. Hmm. Um, and I go to ACC and I have a great time. And it's never with, I'm going to go to UT in mind. That wasn't ever really the end goal. It was just like, I'm seeing what's up with this whole education thing. Hmm. Uh, and I was enjoying it. And I was going at such a slow pace because I was working still full time that I had to just enjoy each class at the time and not so much be hungry for that end goal because hmm. it was far away. Hmm. Um, and I didn't really know what that end goal was yet either. So you're just taking classes that you think will be interesting? Like, are you... I'm taking, like, my general classes that you need to take, and then some that I think will be interesting, too. But mostly it was all the basic stuff you need mm -hmm. to take. Um, because if if I am going to transfer, I need all this stuff anyway. And also, this is the things I kind of missed out on in high school. Hmm. You know, this is where I kind of wasn't present. So this is this, the stuff I should be learning. And I don't... I, I just wanted to get a little well-rounded. Um and then 2013 changed my life. How so? I had been taking classes and I just got out of a yoga class with my friend or we were working out or something. I don't remember. But we had been hearing all over social media that there was something going on in the Capitol and that we should go check it out and that there was somebody filibustering an HB2, as you mm -hmm. now know, which is the anti-abortion bill out of Texas that just got struck down by the Supreme Court. Um, and so we were like, should we go down there? Uh, yeah, let's go down there. And it was late by the time we, it was like 10 or 1030 by the time we got out down there. And I walked in and like, I will never forget the moment I was like, I almost wanted to cry. It was so beautiful. Um, there was like the ground was shaking because everyone was screaming so much. And there was just rows and rows of people like standing there and screaming for something they really believed in. And it like took my breath away. And, and I was and, like, whoa, this is democracy. And it's lit. And, and I love it. <laughs> and just for people who who don't know that space, so you're walking into the, the Texas Senate. Mm -hmm. And right at the time, it's what? 11 it's getting 11. close to 11 wendy davis is still filibustering inside the senate uh floor but i walk into the capitol rotunda uh. and so for people who don't know the texas capitol rotunda is just as big as like our capital is almost as big or just as big as washington dc's mm -hmm. if not a little bigger so it's a huge space and there's i don't know how many floors but there are many many floors and all the way up lining these floors are rows and rows of people wearing orange and on the ground, on the bottom level where I am, just a sea of orange, too. Mm. And orange was the were the people who were there to stand with Wendy and against the bill. Um, and they just kept screaming, like, hell no, we won't go, or just screaming at the top of their lungs. Because at that time, I didn't know, um, close to midnight, I think 10 minutes before midnight, she had been she gotten her third strike. So uh, when you're filibustering in Texas, three strikes, you're out. And we have very strict laws. Like you can't even lean against the table or um, like you can't go to the bathroom. Like we it's not like U.S. Congress. It's a lot harder to filibuster here. Um, so at that point, they were starting to take a vote. And I think people from the inside with social media were alerting everyone on the outside. And so what happened, what, what we now call it is the people's filibuster happened and started at that time. And we were screaming so loud. And I, I got to be a part of that. It was so amazing. Like just <laughs> happenstance, um, just screaming at the top of our lungs that they couldn't hear 
all the senators in the building in order to take a vote, and it put them past midnight. So the bill was dead. And it was like, whoa, it, this is like democracy defined. You couldn't hear and take the vote because the people were using their voices. Wow. Yeah. And that, like, I fell in love with that, and nothing has ever been the same. So you walk out of the Capitol that night, and then... Cloud nine. What are you thinking? I'm, like, high on life, you know? Like, this is a greater feeling than any sports event, any concert I've ever been to. Like, anything where I've ever felt elation, this trumped that, like, by far. And I get online, and I just start researching what happened. Where did this come from? And I, I have a very personal story with abortion. I had an abortion, so this hits home to me. Um, and this happened around the time when I was going back to school, too. Mm-hmm. And so I knew had I had a child, things would be very different for me in life. And so I just start crying that night when I'm reading and hearing things because these were people's stories that she was reading and she was putting forward. People's personal stories about how this bill would affect them and mm-hmm. how their lives have played out. And so... Uh, The more and more research I did, I found out that there was an outlet for this in a group called Battleground Texas. And um, I applied with them like immediately after that and started a fellowship with them. And later we learned that Winnie Davis announced her gubernatorial or her gubernatorial run and um, Battleground Texas was going to help her in that race. And so I stuck around with them to help through um, through some of her run. So you go from being somewhat apolitical. Hmm. I wouldn't say somewhat. I'd say probably completely. Completely apolitical. <laughs> and then one experience, mm-hmm. you're all in. Yeah. And I got to tell her this on Friday. I introduced her at our um, training that we had at our summer institute. And I got to tell her that she changed my life. And it was such a great moment. How did that feel? Oh, scary. Because it's like telling your hero that you love them. And I like couldn't really look her in the eye because I was kind of embarrassed, you know, fangirling. Um, but it was it's all so true. It's so mm. true. And like to this day, when I see videos of the filibuster, I like tear up because it wasn't just me. Like that changed a lot of people's lives. And mm. it was incredible. So now you're going to college. So now do you... So now I say, I'm going to go to UT. Why do you think you, why in that moment do you think you need to do that? Like um, This opportunity that I've been given, um, this chance that I happened upon the Capitol, that I went there, all of these things like were pointing to me furthering my education, to the, the fact that I you know, did have an abortion because I didn't want that. I I wanted that decision to impact my life in a positive way. All of those things just kind of snowballed into, I don't, I just felt this feeling like you have to go to UT now. You have to get your degree. You have to work as a public servant. Hmm. You have to dedicate your life to this. And I knew that that would be a lot harder if I didn't have a degree. Hmm. And things that I start learning now about, you know, how almost everyone has a degree now. And um, that's kind of the next logical step. Or now, instead of everyone having a high school degree, almost everyone has a college degree. And how if you want to make it in certain arenas, that's going to be a basic thing that you need. So 
I would say that, but more than the pragmatic sense of it, of this is a thing that you need, it was like, I want to learn more about all of these things. I want to be as educated and as brilliant as she was that night, you know? Like, I want, I just want to know in and out all, like, all of this information so that I can be able to help my community to, you know, fight for people who maybe don't have that voice that we had that night. Uh, I'm listening to you, Zoraima, and it sounds, I think for so many people who graduate from high school, like, college is sort of the default. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, no, I need to go to college. Yeah. And no one really thinks through, like, to hear you say at a very basic level that you went to college to learn more is so, I'm so, like, I, it makes sense, but mm-hmm. I feel like it's so foreign to a lot of people who make the decision to go to college. Like, it's just kind of this step, and they're going to pick a major, and they may or may not be interested in that it's thing. It's like a trajectory that's yeah, expected. Right, mm-hmm. like you're just checking off boxes, but you're mm-hmm. actually going... To well, was, learn. Yeah. I never expected to go, and I was never expected. I'm the first person in my family to go to college, extended family. Um, and yeah, it was it was never a, an expectation. So when I made the conscious decision, a lot of thought went into it. Yeah. It was intentional to go and hmm. to finish because it wasn't easy. It still isn't easy, you know? So it had to be, I had to be like 100% invested in that choice. Uh, and I was. So you go to UT and you crush it. You just so crush it. So I remember I find out I go to UT I, when I get in and I just, oh, so like? much washes over me. Well, UT, I'm an Austinite, a native Austinite. So growing up, seeing that tower, it's always been like a symbol of the unattainable. It's always been a symbol of what's right in front of you, like what's so close but yet so out of reach because that's not your path. That's not where you belong. Hmm. Because even like my high school friends, most of them didn't go to UT because they weren't top 10%. You know, so it's like this very exclusive thing, almost, uh, even though it's a huge university. But for people like me, you know, um, it's it's a very exclusive thing. Hmm. Um, so I, I decide that I'm going to apply and I apply and I get in and I it's just elation. I feel like. I'm one step closer, you know, hmm. and I don't I still don't have like a particular end goal, but I feel <laughs> I'm one step closer to whatever it is that I am going to do to change the world, hmm. you know, and at this point, I'm like super into politics and very much invested in the stake of my community and the future of my community and the people I know and love and all of these things that I've seen personally impact my loved ones. So this is personal now. Policy becomes personal now. Hmm. Um, and I make those connections. And so I sign up to be a government major. And um, I get a letter a couple weeks after being accepted from a humanities program. And they, the entire pamphlet, when I read it out loud, I remember reading it out loud to my boyfriend. And he was like, that is 100% you. And it was. And so I met Linda and then later Dr. Carver. And I joined the humanities program instead of going the government major route. Because it allowed me to tailor my own experience around what mattered to me. And so, of course, it ended up being uh, my contract is in public policy, communication, advocacy, and women's rights. Mm. So, And you got the chance to build that from the ground up mm-hmm. the way you wanted yeah. it to be. All the classes are that I've chosen, I'm, I, I'm, 
obsessed with, for lack of a better word, because they all are things that I value 100%. They value, they, they reflect my values and they just speak to where I want my education to go. Hmm. We talked about your trajectory going from truancy school oh, yeah. to the Truman Scholarship. How do you get the Truman? Like, how, how does... <laughs> I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm still like, not did y'all make a, a mistake? Not, not, not that it's improbable. <laughs> I mean, not, how did you get it? Not that. But like, I guess what I'm interested in is you go to a big place like UT mm-hmm. and then you're finding a way to navigate mm-hmm. all of these little twists and turns and labyrinths and trapdoors yeah. and landmines. When do you start sort of sniffing around saying, oh, like there's this thing, this Truman... I didn't know about it. My advisor, Linda Mayhew, told me about it. And she said, you have an amazing story. And um, I think that you would be perfect for this. So how does she know your story? We've talked personally. Hmm. I mean, here's the thing is, I think my life has been shaped by these like incredible individuals that have invested in me. Um, and I want to do the same for others. Like That's kind of my goal now, too, is to provide that. So obviously, my parents, right? My parents worked so hard to get here, to get me here to where I am. Um, then there's my professional mentors like Maris. And then when I arrived at UT, I met, uh, Linda Mayhew, my advisor and Dr. Carver, you know, Mm. uh, the director of the humanities and liberal arts honors program, um, and junior fellows, which I'm also in. Hmm. So I'm in like all of his projects. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Um, so I meet them and we just have these candid conversations. And I think because I'm a little older, I'm able to sit there and share these things with them. Um, and we're able to kind of connect on a, I wouldn't say like we're, uh, it's not a peer to peer level, but it's definitely not like advisor to student. It's just like this more human level. (laughs) Like we're both individuals and here's what I've been through or here's why I'm making these decisions. So in applying for the humanities, um, or I'm sorry, yeah, for the humanities contract, because you have to apply to this program. I was able to tell my story. And in telling that story, I think they became more interested in who I, who I was. So we just talked more about it. And I think they saw me there every single day, early in the morning, chipping away. I'm not one of those like naturally gifted, smart people. I have to try, hmm. you know, but I, I try. But you're getting up early and you're yeah, working. Yeah, they see me there because Dr. Carver calls it my office, like the, the common <laughs> space there because I'm always there. Um, so... I think that they just, I, I, I'll never forget the email. And Linda was like, I think you'd be perfect for this. Hmm. And um, I read it and I was like, that does sound like me. That could be me. Hmm. And then I start looking into it. I'd never heard of the Truman Scholarship. I'm, I don't come from a world of academia. You know, my parents were never like, you're going to be a Rhodes Scholar <laughs> one day. They don't even know what that is, you know, um, and that's fine. You don't need to know what that is. Um but I so I had to look it up and then I realized how like prestigious it was and how difficult it was and how my chances were really small. Uh, and I was like, eh, I'm going to give it a shot anyway. Uh, and when I like do something, I don't I do it all out. No, so, I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine anything. But but I mean, you probably just jumped all in. Mm-hmm. I did. And Dr. Carver gave me a little bit of a warning. He's like, you know. Just be sure that this is what you want because it's not an easy process. It's grueling. Uh, sometimes you're going to like want to stop and quit because <laughs> we're going to be bugging you. And um, it asks you to – there's so much introspection involved in applying for the Truman. It's so much like self 
there's so much about identity and and identity's hard you know coming to terms with who you are is sometimes difficult um especially i've been on this forward 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 path that i've hadn't ever taken the time to stop and be like who am i like hmm. what has shaped me in a way where i had to write it down methodically and um really think through what i want hmm. and where i'm going to be 10 years from now and where i've come from and so the application I even told Dr. Carver, like, this application taught me more about myself than so many things have. And I'm glad I did it, even if I don't get chosen or selected by the UT committee, because you have to go through a UT process first and be put forth as a nominee. And then you go through a round where they look at your folders and they throw some out in that round. And then you have to go through a finalist. So there's essentially three rounds. Um and I told them, even if I don't get selected, I'm glad I did this. You know, it's made me put down on paper what I want to do. What were some of the questions that they asked? Uh, what is a particularly satisfying public service exp- uh, experience that you've had? Or mm. what is an experience that has shaped your life? Additional information um, that you want the committee to know about. That's hmm. number 14. I still remember the numbers. <laughs> That's the one that they put the most emphasis on. It's your personal statement, essentially. Hmm. Um, and that's what matters to them because while they want people that are smart and are good on paper, um, I think what we heard over and over at Leadership Week was a Truman Scholar is somebody who just has that like fire and that potential in them to serve and to be a public servant. And that is really hard to get by all of this other stuff. Like that's like where you tell your story and why you're motivated to do what you do. So I told my story, which sounds a lot like what we talked about, but a condensed version. It's a hell of a story. Yeah. A condensed version, so to speak. And I emphasize a lot like what right now, um, the community I come from and where teenage pregnancy is very, very prevalent and, uh, opportunities or access to higher education is scarce. Um, And those things that I wasn't able to articulate before I now am. And to have that, that's a huge blessing and privilege, you know, that's a huge privilege to be able to articulate that and to be able to speak on behalf of other people who might be in similar situations and to help them. (laughs) And so this was a great like platform for me to shape that and where I want to take my career and where I want to take my public service. And um, I wasn't chosen initially. I was, I was put forward by UT and um, we worked really hard and scrubbed my application and it went in in February and we were waiting, waiting, waiting to hear back. And I finally get an email that says um, like, we regret to inform you that you have not been chosen as a finalist. Um, or did I get an email? I don't know if I got an email or if Dr. Carver, I didn't get an email. Dr. Carver just told me and they had posted on their Twitter feed that they had already sent out all the emails to finalists. And since I, since I wasn't getting one, I assumed I'm not a finalist and I wasn't. And I came to terms with that. And I said, that's fine. I'm not going to stop. This doesn't define me. I'm keep, I'm going to keep going. You know, if anything, this puts more fire, like, into me to to achieve my goals. Um, and I remember I was, again, at my office, the common room, studying uh, early in the morning. And Dr. Carver comes in and he's like, I need to talk to you. And I go and he's like, I did something and I'm not sure if you're going to like it or if it's okay or if I should be telling you, but I appealed your application. And he said, I've only done this 
I think this was the third or fourth time. I'm not sure in the past 20, 25 years. So uh, just know it isn't something I'm just doing. It's like, I just think they made a mistake. And fast forward, I'm at a conference in Oklahoma for uh, reproductive justice and perspectives from red states. And we're about to sit down um, in this. And I, I get an email from Dr. Carver saying, call me. And we're about to sit down for this breakout session called Be Present. And he calls me and he's like, I just want to let you know that you're a 2016 Truman finalist. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, and then later I get the email, too. And then I have to go sit down and be present with like five other people I just met and not be like, you guys. How do you do that? I, mean, I was just grateful. Like, I was so grateful that I told them I was like, I have to get something out before we get started because I really want to be present in this space. And they all hugged me and congratulated oh, me. Man. And I could tell they were so genuine that it made it easy to be like, okay, I can turn off my thing and listen to you because you gave me that. Mm. So, and also, who am I trying to be? Be true to that, you know? Like, if you really are trying to be this leader and someone who's going to work in service, like, you have to honor that in your personal communication too, your interpersonal hmm. communication, not just in the work you do. It's got to be genuine, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it was great. It was like one of the greatest weekends. <laughs> So you get 30,000? Is it 30,000, the gift? Yes, 30,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30,000. Yeah. What are the stipulations? You have to... Uh, you have to be a public servant for three years post uh, receiving your awards. Okay. Um, and they define service very broadly. So it's not a hard thing to do. Anything that I feel like I want to do is un- falls under their uh, definition of public service. So... Um, and also, you just got to kind of live up to the name and be true to that in all of your communication and help other people out, too. I've gotten a lot of people reaching out to me because they're interested in being Truman Scholars as well. And I have other other Truman Scholars. Like I already have two phone calls planned for next week because they want to know mm-hmm. more about how to get GOTV campaigns going. Let's get out mm. the vote campaigns. And they want to know more about civic engagement and the work I do with TFN, essentially. So we're going to have that chat and we're going to talk about that. Truman Scholar, Truman Scholar. It's this network, um, really, that is more valuable than the monetary. What's incentive. next for you? What's the next? Oh, I don't know. Uh, um, so I am finishing this semester. I'm, I'm doing my thesis right now. And I finish that off this year. And next January, I go to D.C. And I do my last semester of UT at D.C. through the Bill Archer program. Um, and I would really like an internship with the Hispanic or the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Institute um, because they do kind of fund you through it. And I'm hmm. still being a full-time student now. I'm going – I don't really do hair and makeup anymore. Went to public service. You can imagine there's a huge pay cut there. Um, you know, there's DC isn't, isn't cheap. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, so that would be great because of, it's like another Truman scholarship too. It's like a fellowship, but it's, you have a cohort of other interns and, um, just everything I've read about it speaks to me personally and how I'm all about making those connections, you know, and 
And it's not just an internship at some congressman's office. You know, it's like you have this cohort of people that you're going to have this experience with and that you do public service with. That's another big mm-hmm. uh, aspect of it. You have to do a public service um a volunteer event every week and um you get together with your group and you talk about things that are important to you and so Mm. we'll see where i end up in dc the options are open okay so we're gonna go rapid fire here so what is the biggest risk that you've taken in life Ooh, i don't know maybe going to new york but also leaving the comfort of my cush hair and makeup career to uh, pursue a career in public service, which you don't really get that yeah. much anything for other than personal fulfillment. <laughs> so this podcast is all about saying yes. Mm-hmm. How do you say no? So I, I can imagine that people are asking you or have asked you for a lot of you know, work on projects, mm-hmm. collaborate, and you only have so much time to yeah. devote. Do you have a method of telling people No. I don't say no very often um, because there's it's usually things that I can do and can make the time for. Um, now, however, if it's something that I really can't, um, I just want to be genuine and I say no, but I try to give them, here's somebody else's number, you mm. know? So it's not like I'm just telling you no and I'm cutting you off. Uh, bye. It's like, let's make this happen. I can't make it happen, but maybe this person will mm. know. And some of the, my, like, the people I value and respect so much, they are the people that make those connections, too. So, yeah. yeah. What is a daily routine that separates you from your competitors or from other people? Is there something you do each day that you think? I take time off, too. I, I have mm. self-care, you know. Um, I cuddle with my dog and walk around the park and try not to think about all the things. And this is the first time I've heard the term self care. Mm-hmm. Self care. Self care. When we're motivated and when we're when you're with like people who um, they're all in this race, right? Who can be the best? Who can burn out the fastest? Like who can go three days without sleeping? But I've been working on this since two a.m. Like that's actually bad for you. And mm-hmm. in public service and in the work I do, it's so important to take care of yourself because it's not just taking care of yourself for the sake of you. It's for the sake of you being able to serve your community too. Hmm. And for the sake of establishing this kind of, I guess, where we all care about each other a little more. If you're tired, go home. If you've been working a lot, go home. If you're sick, sleep, you know, like go to, go to the doctor. Like we don't need to like Hmm. beat each other up just to be successful. Wow. Or beat ourselves up. Wow. What, and we've talked about this a little bit, but to what do you owe your success? Is it grit? Is it luck? Is innate ability some combination? I mean, you've. I'm going to use the word passion because I've been talking hmm. a lot about that, right? But I think all successful people have passion. Um, along with passion has been, like I said, those individuals that have invested in me mm-hmm. um, and that have really, like, they haven't held my hand through anything, but they've been a guide. And they've been like, they've walked with me. They've accompanied me. Hmm. And I think that's really important. Um, And it's something I want to give to others, too. And, of course, there's always passion. That's my defining characteristic. I do nothing without passion. Hmm. If I'm doing it without passion, I'm not going to do it anymore. Hmm. You know? Um, So that's passion for sure. But also the help of others. Hmm. We don't do anything alone. Yeah. We don't do anything for ourselves or by ourselves. Hmm. That's a quote I heard this past weekend, and it's so true. Where does purpose fall for you? Do you see a difference between purpose and passion, or 
Does that register with you or do you? Yeah, yeah. I think you have to have passion with purpose, obviously. Mm. You can't just be like, I really love, um, you know, the ocean. I just love the ocean. Mm. It's like, okay, but what for what purpose and what do you want to see out of your love for that? Are you trying to like save a certain species? Are you? And that's where goals come in too, you know, and having that purpose and being intentional in your passion because otherwise you're just going to like have all these feelings and they're going to go all over the place. Hmm. And so being, I guess, having the direction for that passion and setting goals for yourselves or for yourself and having like that purpose will help you contain it a little bit. And in a, in a way, I mean to say, I guess it'll help you feel okay with the fact that you can never do everything, hmm. you know? Hmm. Okay, we're going to go rapid fire here. You have one last tweet to send out to humanity. This is it for you. Um, well, I don't use Twitter. But if I did, it would be... Oh, this, I, don't... I don't even use Twitter. So I know. No. So let's think of this. 140 characters. Mm-hmm. Something short that encapsulates like Zoraima's view on life on life i guess it would be you know live life with purpose live life with passion but live life with compassion to others Hmm. we need more compassion yeah we need more empathy i think all the really terrible things that happen in this world are for lack of empathy you know Brene brown um she's done a lot of work around vulnerability and empathy and I was a football coach, and so if you had said to me, the world needs more empathy seven years ago, uh, I would have said you're a crazy person. But now, it's so true. Mm-hmm. Just being able to take the perspective of someone else and say, okay, I don't agree with her. I don't really understand what mm-hmm. she's saying, but I can see where she feels or how yeah. she feels this way. And that's okay. Like, it's not a... Zero, one, black, white. No, I was raised also to be like crying is weakness, you know, like we didn't show much emotion. Um, And I don't think that's true at all. I think um, it actually takes a lot more courage to cry and to bear yourself and to be vulnerable. Vulnerability is like a very hard thing to do. Hmm. And you're exposing yourself to other people. But what that says is I trust you enough to share this with you, right? And like, we need to have trust in each other as as humanity. And I don't know, I'm trying to do this all from the perspective of someone who works in like social justice, right? And I think the lack of justice is a lack of empathy and the lack of being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And when you do that, you otherize them and you dehumanize them. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, that's just not the case with most people. There are some terrible people, don't get me wrong, but... Most people are good, and we got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Wow. Wow. One cliche that you would eradicate from the lexicon. Is there some cliche that you just... One cliche? Yeah. That when you hear it, it just makes you want to slam your head into a wall. I wouldn't call it a cliche, but when people say all lives matter, I just want to, like, stop breathing. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's like, okay, that's the goal, not the movement. We get it. Um, yeah. Okay. That really bothers me. <laughs> what is the title of the mandatory class that every college student should take? If you were building this thing from the ground up, what's the title of the class? Uh, probably 
just introduction to social justice hmm. because that I think can build a lot of empathy in college students and can expose them to things that they that make them feel uncomfortable. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable. Like, but you have to like be okay with that moving forward in your interactions with other students and in diversity and in this crazy diverse world that we are in hmm. and country. You know, you're not going to yeah. be like sheltered your entire entire life. And at UT, there are a lot of students who come here from small towns, and this is their first like exposure to like big city and other thoughts. And that can be a great growing time for some people. Uh, but it can also push other people further into this like narrow view of the world. And so when we expose people to movements and social justice or just um, the history of it um, and making that terminology itself more accessible too, and not too academic, hmm. um, then I think that that can connect with people. And that will maybe hopefully spark a little like community activists and everyone hmm. and to have like in, in, to invest in their local politics and in their communities. Hmm. So Ryan, my last question, next to last question, what is the book that you have not written? What's the title of the book? The title of the book I have not written. Oh my gosh. Um, I don't know. My biography or my <laughs> memoir. I don't have a title of a book. You've I got so much written. material. That's the thing. You've got like five books in your yeah, background, right? Yeah. Like, uh, okay. I guess maybe the new title is going to be From Truancy to Truman Scholar. <laughs> yeah. Nice. From Truancy Court to Truman Scholar. <laughs> All right. Last question. Okay. So it's fourth and one. You've got one last play to get it over the goal line. Do you have a go-to song or movie or poem or something that like when you're at the bottom of the bottom, lowest of the lows that you mm -hmm. go back to for motivation and inspiration? Yeah, I have. Um, well, the Ernest Henley poem, I'm the captain of my fate, I'm the master, or I'm the master of my soul, I'm the captain of my fate. I'm just butchering that right now. No, man. Invictus. Yes. Uh, yeah, I have a quote of that next to my bed. And that helps me. That helps hmm. me push through. And then also when I'm just having a really rough day, I like to sweat it out and I put on Beyonce Flawless <laughs> because that's where she, like the famous quote Chimamanda Ngozi um, says, you know, what a feminist is. And I really found myself when I realized that I was a feminist. So just going back to those things. Uh, Sorry, yeah, and it helps me get through my workout. Nice, <laughs> thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, this has been awesome. We went over a little time. I was looking, I was like, oh, but that's uh, okay. You've got so much material. I feel like we could have talked for yeah. three hours. Thank you for listening to a tribe called Yes. For more information, you can visit us at a tribe called yes.com and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. And don't forget. Keep saying yes.